And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and on today's episode, we're diving into the USMNT's 1-1 draw with Jamaica to open up their 2023 Gold Cup campaign. To help me get through this episode, because I cannot do it on my own, I don't have enough material to fill a full episode on that game, to help me get through this game and get through this episode is the one, the only, David Goss. Goss, how you doing? I'm okay. I thought maybe you'd want to just like analyze Leon Bailey walking off the field for 10 minutes on your own. I, th I think there's plenty of material there from a 1-1 draw in front of pretty much no fans in Chicago. <laughs> hey, those no fans were booing a little bit. I guess that maybe tells us something about what happened yeah. on the field in this game. Uh, I would be tempted to analyze Leon Bailey's walk and just kind of his performance in general. We'll talk about the penalty kick that he had saved by Matt Turner. I don't want to be a, a total... Like Debbie, what's what's the guy version of Debbie Downer? Deb Debson Debson Downer? What do we have? Is there a, a I think male you just version? go with Debbie. Don't gender okay. Debbie. All right, I'll, I won't. Uh, I won't do that, and I won't go full on Debbie Downer from the start because uh, I want folks to actually listen all the way through. But I will warn everybody: neither Goss nor I are, are terribly high on the performance that we just saw from the U.S. Men's National Team. There were some good moments in Brandon Vasquez scoring at the, almost at the whistle, right, 88th minute, so before stoppage time, but the 88th minute was a nice moment, and the U.S. had a few, you know, better-looking attacking sequences once B.J. Callahan made a few changes later on in the game, but by and large, gosh, this was kind of rough, which brings us into, I think, one of the, the main talking points from this tournament as a whole, and it feels especially relevant after a, a pretty brutal performance from the U.S., is like, why does this Gold Cup matter? For the United States. All of the good players went home, except for Matt Turner after the Nations League. They won the trophy in Las Vegas. They celebrated hard. Christian Pulisic had a fruit cup. They played high school musical. Like that, that's all done now. Now it's the B squad. Like, gosh, why does any of this matter for the US or, or even for US fans? In general, it doesn't. And I have to start there because I have to hold myself accountable to that if the US loses. Because one of these things we do is we come into a moment like this and we say, this doesn't matter. And then the U.S. loses. And we freak out. I felt through that second half. And then we hear Alexi jumping off the top rope and everyone follows. And there are probably people who are starting there anyway. Um, so I, I have to establish the fact that it does not matter. What could matter and what should matter is that you don't play a lot of international games. The U.S. doesn't have to qualify for the next World Cup. They don't have a lot of meaningful games between now and the 2026 World Cup. So in the moment, the players that are there, you have to take advantage of everything you have. And we know that this is a conversation of who can get into the team. Everyone who's there is not 
what does the starting team look like? Who are our best players? It's can Georgie Mihailovic, can um, Jalen Neal, can John Tolkien, can these guys push into the real big picture? Or can some of them just start to get experience where you go back two to four years and say, oh, that's this is you know where Christian Pulisic found his feet. This is where these other players found their feet at the Gold Cup. That's the value it can have. But in general, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I think certainly in terms of the results, this doesn't matter a lot. I will say, I think there's something, and I don't know how much something there is, but I think there's something to the idea of continuing to be the dominant force in CONCACAF. And I don't think that's going to be erased if the U.S. don't win the Gold Cup, and it seems like they are going to be facing an uphill battle after what we saw earlier tonight at Soldier Field. Like, Still, I think there is something to be said for the U.S. won the last Nations League in 2021. They won the Gold Cup that summer as well in epic fashion against Mexico in that final with Miles Robinson scoring. Then they come in and they dominate this Nations League. I, I think there is something to be said for continuing to win every possible competition. But the reality is, with this group, I don't think... Folks will blame the U.S., or at least rational folks will blame the U.S. for not doing that. So there is that one part that I think about, and ideally, I think, obviously, you win every competition you're in. And if you're the U.S., you want to continue to be the dominant force in this region. But really, for me, the two biggest things, and Goss, you really mentioned one of them, are, are you know, the U.S. giving young players a chance to cut their teeth, right? And, and John Strong and Stu Holden did a, a good job, I think, on the Fox broadcast tonight of pointing out like at the end of this game, there were a lot of young players on the field. Like Jalen Neal came on at halftime for Aaron Long, very young center back for the LA Galaxy, just made his national team debut earlier on this year in January camp. John Tolkien was playing left back. He's a young, young left back. You had youth in midfield with Sands to an extent and Aiden Morris, certainly. You had Cade Cowell on the front line. Like th there was a lot of young players without a lot of international experience on the field. And, and even if it doesn't pay off now in the form of results, or even in the perform, even in the form of fantastic performances, there is something to be said for giving those players minutes. And the last thing, like the, the most obvious thing for me, is just players showing that they belong with the full group, right? Like that's that's what I really want to see. I I, I want to see players develop. I want to see this, you know, pay dividends later on. But the reality is, the Gold Cup should be about, and in, in most of the international windows between now and 2026, even ones when the full group is there, at least one subplot in all of that, gosh, should be like who. Who's showing out? Like, is Zendaya showing out? Is, you know, maybe it is Jordan Morris. Like, who is actually performing at a level that makes it impossible for them not to be in the conversation? And unfortunately, so, tonight, I don't feel like we really saw any of that. So I completely agree with you. One of the things that's tough, and obviously on the coaching staff, this is their responsibility and they're around these players, but like, this is now two or three years where I've watched Zendaya's play. And I think... The way Liga MX sets up is really, really good for him. I think it's a league that fits his style very well. But you see him come in now. This is, what, his third appearance with the U.S. He is not, at the international level, a high-level chance creator. Doesn't yeah. beat his man very often 1v1. Doesn't really play passes that break, that break lines or that open up teams. I do think he's a high-level piece and facilitator. And so that's where it becomes tough, which is, I think he'll perform worse against worse competition with this group than he would with the A group being a part of that similar to, I, I think he's similar in ways to Timothy Weah, who I think is like an elite sort of facilitator. And then I think Weah has top end ability that is different. Um, and so that's one of the things that's going to be tough about judging those is like Mihailovic and Christian Roldan were better than Zendejas today. 
would they be in the Nations League semifinal and final against a full Mexico and Canada squad with the with those teammates? I'm not sure about that. And and that's one of those things that's always tough with national teams. Yeah, the context is difficult, especially moving through tournament to tournament and opponent to opponent. This Jamaica team was strong, and the context was very different from this game compared to the Nations League games we just saw. Like the, the burden was on Zendejas, and we'll talk about the full lineup for the U.S. You know, in just a minute or two. Like the burden was on Zendejas and Alan Senora in particular to create something, and and they just didn't look like they had the tools to be the primary creator for a team. So that is certainly a wrinkle here, and I, I think that is helpful to bring up in terms of how we think about the performances from players tonight and maybe you know us needing some more evidence to fully evaluate them. One other note before we get into the lineups and approaches and, and talk more about what happened on the field in this game in more specific detail, Greg Berhalter was not on the sidelines for the U.S. men's national team in this camp, I guess they left all of the A-team at home, basically. <laughs> that includes the manager who was rehired, you know, less than a week ago, a week and a half ago at this point in Las Vegas. Uh, That's Greg why Aaron Long had the wonky headdress because they left the, the, <laughs> the elite trainers and the elite bandages. <laughs> uh, it was, I mean, he was going to get like a cool truck band-aid or like something with cars on it uh, right right on his forehead. And they left those at home with all the yeah, with all The, the glow-in-the-dark like ones. <laughs> yeah, he was going to have some sick on that forehead. Didn't work out for Aaron Long. Um, but no Greg Berhalter. He and U.S. Soccer apparently decided. I, I guess I don't know who actually made this decision, but it seemed like a collaborative one that he was going to sit the Gold Cup out and take charge of the team for the first time. I believe it will be in the September international window. There'll be games in September, October, and November. Goss, I want to read a couple of the quotes from Matt Crocker at, uh, from the press conference that were, were brought down by those of us that were in the room in that particular instance. And then I, I want to get some of your thoughts on whether or not this makes sense or not. So Crocker, U.S. Soccer Sporting Director, was hired recently, said what we didn't want to do what we didn't want to create, excuse me, was the environment of Greg putting his boots straight back on, you know, slides back into the environment, and it's very much business as usual. Crocker said there's some real big ticket items around real strategic stuff over the next couple of seasons that we need to map out first. It gives myself and Greg the real great opportunity of spending some real time together, working through and piecing together the framework of that strategy for 2026. We can then bring that back to the staff and players and start to get their input to really develop it together collectively. On the surface, even with some buzzwords in there, I feel like all of that stuff makes sense. Thinking about the future is good. That's not like a hot take. Gus, what I don't understand is why can you not do that and also coach the Gold Cup at the same time? Can you help me, please? I don't understand. No, I don't think I can help you. I think like the joke I've made a lot over the last few years about Greg Berhalter is like, I didn't think he really liked being the national team manager because you never get to coach. And part of that is like, you don't really have anything to do a large part of the year. You're watching game, you're interacting with players, you're interacting with teams. So obviously the timing not ideal in that you just hired Berhalter, the Gold Cup just starts. Let him coach a team that he has coached for five years. And then Matt Crocker, you can bring him into a room. You guys can sit down, you can get whiteboards. We'll all buy you markers and pens and <laughs> post-its and everything. And you guys can work on that stuff. I understand the idea, right? The idea is you don't want a false start. Like you don't want Greg Berhalter to come in, coach the way it was, then have him come and sit down with Crocker, and then you guys reassess everything. And then all of a sudden you're going to change the way the game model is built, the things you're communicating, what you're doing, and you don't want to have done it incorrectly. But the idea that it's going to change that much with the same manager and no offense, this isn't the team. So it's not even like 
I, 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 I could be wrong, but I don't think like Jordan Morris and Aiden Morris and James Sands are going to roll in to Copa America next year and be like, oh, this isn't what you told us last year in <laughs> Chicago when we played Jamaica in that opening game. Everyone, let's riot and walk out. Like that part of it, I think, is what's hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, and it's I I agree with everything you just said on that, guys. And and this is something that Taylor said before, and I don't obviously have any insight into this, but Taylor's brought up the fact that it it could be U.S. Soccer and Peralter not wanting to feed the fire when the U.S. does struggle a bit in the Gold Cup, like we saw tonight, and, and likely you know in the same way that they will later on in the tournament in the knockout rounds. You just bring Baralter back, which is not a popular choice amongst large members of the fan base, large portions of the fan base. You bring him back and you you put in a performance like the one tonight. And I, I think you're not really setting up in some ways the narrative to be a successful one. I don't think that should be the most important part. Yeah. I think U.S. soccer should insulate themselves from that. But genuinely, that is the only semi-logical perspective that I can understand for why Greg Baralter would be in New Jersey or wherever he is right now instead of coaching this team in Chicago. It makes no sense to me. Um, I, neither did large portions of this game. Guys, let's let's talk through the U.S. lineup, and then we'll talk a bit about Jamaica as well, and we'll take a break shortly. You want to run us through what we saw from the U.S. in this game? Again, not the first-choice players. No Christian Pulisic, no Gio Reyna, no Wea, no MMA, none of that stuff. It was, by and large, David, a second-choice group. Yeah, we start, though, with the birthday boy in goal, in Matt Turner. Well done. uh, Captaining the side, Aaron Long, Miazga, the starting center back pairing, Long on the left. Uh, John Tolkien, who, if I zone out here, I will call Jamai at some point during this uh, show. At left back, DeAndre Yedlin at right back. Then it gets confusing. Jordan Morris played on the left. Jesus Ferrer played at center forward. And then I'm just going to say four names that played in positions. <laughs> James Sands, Aiden Morris, uh, Alan Sonora, and uh, Alex Zendejas. It was, in theory, Morris and Sands as a double pivot behind Sonora with Zendejas on the right. There were like large stretches of the first half where Sonora and Zendejas were both on the left side with Jordan Morris on the left side as well, but not creating any danger in those overloads. Aiden Morris, I'm sure you're excited to get to, struggled as well. And there was, it felt like his directive was to try and play a little bit ahead of Sands, um, which I think he struggled with at times. But that was the setup for the U.S. coming into the game. Yeah, I, I saw it as like a 3 4 3, basically for large chunks, and it was fluid. But the way I saw it, Goss, you mentioned Miazga and Long as the center backs, and they were defensively. It was, it was much more of a 4 4 2. But in possession, you had John Tolkien. Uh, J Mai, why? Can you remind me why his nickname is J Mai for folks his who don't middle know? Middle name is Michael. Okay, yeah, and is. so he's like That's very New Jersey. No, he's just very New Jersey about it. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I wanted it to be like something truly wild, but uh, <laughs> middle name's fine. I guess we can make that work. But yeah, I saw him basically as the left-sided center back with Long then shifting into the middle, Matt Miazga shifting a little bit wider on the right side. That was the back three. Then you had Yedlin push forward to become the right wing back, and, and Jordan Morris basically hugging. Not always, but a lot of the time hugging the left touchline. And then you had Alan Senora and Zendejas drifting in the half spaces. And they had freedom to try to dictate the game. And I think we've kind of made it clear that they didn't have a ton of success doing that. And then you had Jesus Ferreira, who had some of the same license as well. I thought, given the players available, yeah, I would have liked to see Georgi Mihailovic get a start in this game. Because I think he's just a, a higher level player than basically anybody else in that first choice eleven. But, I mean, I thought the idea from Callahan made sense. Like, you try to get Zendejas to impact the game. You try to get Ferreira to drop in. You get Morris and, and Yedlin providing width and providing depth. 
I thought a lot of it made sense, just the talent wasn't there on the field tonight. We'll, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about this team and the performance. First, I want to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. Goss just kindly walked us through the USMNT's lineup against Jamaica. Uh, let's go through Jamaica's lineup as well. You know, it wasn't the, the most ideal U.S. group. I think almost the exact opposite applies to Jamaica, David. I mean, strength in you know, every line of the field. They recently got new recruits added to this team. Damari Gray gets the assist on their first and only goal of the evening. That comes in the 13th minute. He recently committed to Jamaica, 26-year-old winger, plays for Everton. Guys, this was a strong Jamaica team, and I thought they showed some pretty nice flashes throughout this game. What, what did you think of Jamaica, and maybe what did you think when you saw the lineup? I mean, when you just talk about this Gold Cup and sort of what's going on, it's great for Jamaica in that they've worked on a lot of these players for a while. They've worked to sort of rebuild the trust in the Federation for these players to be willing to, like, fly across the world to come play in this team and put their, like, health in the hands of the JFA. And and I think, obviously, hiring a coach who has now pedigree with Iceland and World Cup pedigree and stuff has helped part of that. So I, I thought when you see this team come out, I thought it would be Jamaica on the front foot. I thought it would be Jamaica controlling a lot of the play. Their one weakness in this side, though, is their central midfield. Yep. And so while they had threat across the field, they were not able to sustain it throughout most stretches of the game. Um, I thought they hid most of their issues well, especially Lembekiza, uh, the right back, 19 years old, hasn't really played first-team soccer. I thought they did well to protect him, Damian Lowe. Shouldn't have been on the field after the second minute, <laughs> but took advantage of his second shot at life and, and then played a third, phenomenal. And then a fourth, yeah, it for seemed sure. like. Yeah. But it's a foul on Aiden Morris. Don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> but I, th- I thought he did really well with that. So I actually think overall for Jamaica, a little underwhelming. Yeah. And that they couldn't push the issue. I mean, I texted someone at halftime when Jalen Neal came on. And I like Jalen Neal. Mikel Antonio against Jalen Neal right now, 20 years old, like has not put on weight, is not ready for that battle. And only there was only two moments where Antonio really beat him. One, he went out wide, held off Neal, back heel into Decordover Reed's path. Uh, and then the other one was just on like a chance header that Neal misread. Otherwise, though, they didn't have they didn't get into Antonio's feet. They didn't play through him like they did not find a lot of their threat consistently. And I think it's, they'll look back on this game and realize that they missed an opportunity. Yeah, the, the squad is strong. And you mentioned a couple of the names there. Even Lambakisa, like highly rated young Wolves player who, who got 23 minutes, only 23 minutes, but, you know, made his Premier League debut earlier on this year. Like, this, this team has a lot of talent, both young and proven. You mentioned Mikel Antonio as well. Leon Bailey, 
plays in the Premier League. Yep. Bobby De Cordova Reed also plays in the Premier League and cooked John Tolkien a couple of different times in the second half. Damari Gray, like I, I will let the uh, Phoenix Rising slash Kevon Lambert in central midfield slander slide <laughs> uh, because it is accurate. I'll be honest, but you know there is a lot of strength in this group, and I thought the early approach from Jamaica was smart. Like they didn't come out and try to immediately wrestle the control away from the U.S but they were very clearly trying to bypass midfield. Like, they didn't want to play through Lambert. They didn't want to play through anybody in those spaces. Damian Lowe ended up having a decent amount of the ball and just pumped it up the right channel for either Reed or Antonio to to hold up, Reed and and Bailey to run off of. Like, they weren't trying to mess around in this game. And early on, I thought it paid off, and they, they do jump ahead to the early goal, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But you look at the stat line at the end of this game, and the U.S. look a little unfortunate. Like, 68 to 32% possession in favor of the United States. 13 shots to six in favor of the United States. Like the U.S. ended up having the better play. And a lot of that, again, came at the end and game state's a factor there. But Jamaica, despite having, I thought, some early smarts and how they approached the game, ended up struggling in certain ways. And I think didn't generally live up to what I'd hope they would bring in this game. All that yeah. said, Goss, like they do get the early goal. And Damian Lowe very much benefited from his his new lease on life. He scores in the 13th minute. It's Damari Gray with a free kick on the right side of the field. And Damian Lowe essentially ends up unmarked in the box and scored. So he slips behind the U.S.'s line. A couple of different defensive breakdowns from the U.S., both leading up to the free kick and during the free kick. Gus, when this goal hits the back of the net, I I was concerned for the U.S., given the lack of attack attacking talent on the field for the United States. What did you think of this goal? What did you think of the early stages of this game, maybe for the United States as well? Yeah, I think the most fr- the two most frustrating parts of the goal is the foul comes in an unnecessary moment, right? You've got an attacking player heading back towards his own goal. You're not really – it's not a transitional moment. Everyone's pretty much marked. I thought it was soft, but Aiden Morris over, you know, overworks from behind, gives up the foul, and then Matt Miazga steps off the line that the entire rest of the U.S. is holding. And so he takes two steps back. He holds everyone on side. Lowe's wide open because everyone's wide open because Miazga's the only one dropping to Mark. And it's unfortunate because Matt Miazga's coming into this team sort of as a veteran. Like, that's what he's done for FC Cincinnati. It's not, oh, he's young talent now. It's like, oh, Miazga has to do things like that right to be in the conversation, to be a part of the national team. So it, it's, it was unfortunate throughout that whole segment. I didn't have the same, like, I, I thought the U.S. would create chances. Um, but I think what was interesting to me when you talk about Jamaica or the U S whatever it was after that, I thought Jamaica was better. Damari gray dominated Yedlin twice, like had one moment early in the game where Yedlin literally spins around in his own box, never went back to it, never was able to find him again. And I think out of that segment, I give credit to the U S defensively that Leon Bailey and Damari Gray against John Tolkien and DeAndre Yedlin never really found space. They never, outside of those two moments early, beat those players 1v1. And I think that's where the balance of not wanting to concede more probably hurt the U.S. in trying to go forward. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I'm a little little lower maybe on some of the defensive performers from the U.S. in this game. But I, I don't totally disagree with you on that. I don't think Jamaica lit anything up in the attack. And so in some ways, the U.S. backline does deserve credit. I want to dig a little deeper into Miazga, though, there, guys. I think you you broke down some of the mistakes in that sequence really, really well. He does drop too early, and that does give Jamaica a lot of of space to run into, and Lowe basically just charges up, and it's a beautiful header from him. Those moments are really hard 
like defensively, those moments, the timing that comes in with those moments, especially when you haven't played games with this yeah. group of players before. Like, I don't I don't know off the top of my head, but when was the last time Matt Miazga and Aaron Long started as center backs in a back four together? Like maybe that's never happened for the national team. It probably has at some point. Yeah. But it's it's maybe been, like that Peru game in twenty. It definitely yeah, hasn't it's been, been like since years, right? Like it, yeah. it's been years, and so and I I don't totally blame some of those small individual errors, but it certainly came back to bite the U.S. in this game, and it, it's going to come back to bite Matt Miazga, somebody who's talked about publicly like how he felt screwed by Greg Burrell <laughs> during the last cycle for not being a bigger part, which is is silly to be honest. Like I don't think you can look at Matt Miazga and say that he should be at the top of the center back depth chart, but like he's talked a big game. And he's put in some good performances in a very center back friendly system for FC Cincinnati. And like he comes in and, and this is the kind of stuff that we see, right? He he wasn't fantastic on the ball. He wasn't breaking lines left and right. He didn't put in a, a flawless defensive performance. It, w- it was frustrating. And I, I'd hope for better from Matt Miazga. And Gus, you mentioned it, Aiden Morris in the buildup. Let's just do it now, right? Like I, I talked about <laughs> it on Twitter. I, I said, basically, I was too afraid to just have the one-on-one with you first. And I needed to get some some help from the public square, at least get my opinion out there and aired on Twitter. He was rough, man. Aiden Morris was rough. And I know you know that because you said it multiple times. Were you disappointed by that? Because I don't have it out for Aiden Morris. Like he's 21. I want to see him have a good productive career for club and country. But kind of a lot of my worst fears about Morris and his limitations, I thought manifested themselves in this game. Yeah, so I think... I mean, obviously, there's a moment of brain fart on the penalty. So that's that's always going to be tough. At a, in a game like this, in a high level, it's tough. I did think the foul was a little soft for the free kick for the goal. And then there's multiple breaks down, breakdowns around it. I think in the run of play, what's tough in this moment is it didn't seem comfortable, the, his relationship with Sands. And it felt like Sands was in a position that Sands was more comfortable in of being the six and being deeper at all times and not being asked to step out and press. And then you add in the freedom for Senora and Zendejas, and I think Morris got lost. Or Aiden. Should we just call them Aiden and Jordan? Yeah, we're let's get do it. Jordan let's stuff? do it. A- right. Amo and Jamo. We could do that okay. if we're doing full-on nicknames here. I don't know if it's going to help people, but okay. Mm. Uh, so a- that Amo <laughs> sounds terrible. I'm going to go with Aiden. So I think Aiden got lost of like where to step. And this wasn't a really a U.S. team that had moments to press that often. And when he steps out against Columbus, he's good at pressing and, and closing people down. Yeah. Multiple players in midfield. That was never really part of this game. And so I think the game kind of got away from him. And I think you saw it in possession as the game wore along of like he got less and less sure of himself. And he killed a few moments in the attack, just recycling possession. There's one moment he puts Miazga in a terrible spot because rather than playing through to Zendejas, he brings the ball back and plays him under pressure. And so there are limitations to his game, of course. 21 years old, there might be a not that high ceiling on his game in general. But I think this partnership with Sands behind Senor made all of it even worse. Yeah, yeah. I think Morris will certainly. Sorry, Amo, my mistake. Didn't even remember, <laughs> remember that. Here we go. I, I think he would look better next to a smoother, more technical midfielder, and we see this a little bit for Columbus. Like Darlington Nagby's not a, a through ball threader, but he is smooth on the ball. And having Aiden Morris as kind of the watchdog around him, I think is is a fairly effective idea. Well, go ahead. I, I was there was moments in this game. So Sands also, I think, is the same. I think Sands. I don't think he struggled in this game because I thought he was better than the other was, two in midfield. He, he was fine. Right. Not special. He was fine. But there are and and credit to him, he did play the through ball that that leads to that to Jesus Ferreira that leads to the goal in the end. 
But there are moments where he has the ability to break lines and he looks to the other center mid. And I think over to NYCFC and what Keaton Parks does. And Keaton Parks should have been on the field today is sort of what I'm saying. And so I think Sands is the same where he also needs that guy next to him. Yeah, it it was it was a difficult pairing in the U.S. I, I maintain from the moment the roster was selected and the fact that, you know, you make the conscious choice not to bring a lot of the first choice guys. This is kind of what you get. Now, that said, like some of the LAFC guys or or Keaton Park specifically from NYCFC or Richie Ledesma, like somebody with an ounce of, of technical ability that's not Alan Senora. And I think we saw the failed experiment of him higher up the field. Like somebody should have been trying to control this midfield. And it wasn't going to be Morris, Aiden Morris. It wasn't going to be James Sands. That, that wasn't really ever going to work for the U.S. coming into this game. And I think we saw why that is with some of the limitations for these players. Just to finish the beat on Aiden, though, like... He struggled to ever fully get into this game. Like you mentioned the brain fart, and, and that's fair, but it's a long throw into the box from Bell. Mikel Antonio flicks it on to, to honorary Phoenician Kevin Lambert. And Aiden Morris, like he's ball watching. Like he's he's not he's not fully tuned into that moment. And between that and some overcooked passes to DeAndre Yedlin early in this game and some other you know, turnovers on the ball inside the US's own half. It was a rough outing from, again, still a young player, just 21 years old, has lots of time to grow, I think has improved in Columbus. But for me, it's still when you talk about a, a well-rounded player wanting somebody to be able to kind of give you something in every phase with the national team, and those players don't grow on trees. But if you're talking about that kind of player, I think Aiden Morris is still a, a good ways off from that being a reality for him at this point in his career. So like I said, he was responsible, and, and you mentioned it too, for the penalty kick, at least in part. Jamaica have a penalty. It's Leon Bailey stepping up to do it, and birthday boy Matt Turner makes a big save before the half-hour mark. I, I kind of had already, in my notes, Gus, like marked it off as a goal for Jamaica, just because, like, statistically, that's the that's the yeah. probability thing to do. But not against Turner. Not against Matt Turner. I believe, and I think Paul Carr tweeted this, and Gus, maybe you saw it. I, I don't have yes. it in front of me. I believe of six penalties that Matt Turner has faced in a U.S. jersey, only two have been scored. He has saved mm-hmm. two. Two have gone off target. And he is allowed to. It's a pretty darn good record. Not a bad birthday for Matt Turner, Gus. No, wild. I I think so. If I remember correctly, last Gold Cup semifinal, the Qatar, they had one to potentially win it. They shot over the crossbar, so that was one of them. And then you get the save in this one as well. And that's like not even. Listen, saving penalties. It's clearly a talent that some players have. It's not why I'm ever going to choose a goalkeeper. But if you add it to the things that make Matt Turner great, yeah, it's it just completely yeah. Yeah, continues to make you want him on the field. And in tournament setups is a situation where you're never going to feel like you have to sub him out. So it was a big moment because I think 2-0, I, I, I think that game's pretty much over. Like yeah. The U.S. is home. They're going to have more possession. Game states, they're going to play higher up the field. Jamaica's going to sag off. But you have, again, those threats from Jamaica at 2-0. Leon Bailey or Mikel Antonio or Damari Gray are going to get a chance in transition because you have to throw numbers forward. And so you talk about a team where there's pretty much only one A-level player out there, and he steps up in a huge moment. Yeah, he's he's the only player, and I wrote uh, a quick write-up of this game for Bakul just you know on the player side. Like he's the only player that I thought did a made a concrete positive impact. Brandon Vasquez, you know, made a case for that at the end, but you know he was on the field for such a short amount of time that it's it's difficult. He did his job well, to be clear, Vasquez. But you know, from minute one to minute ninety-seven or whatever this game ended, Matt Turner was a real positive force for this U.S. team. It's a penalty kick from Leon Bailey. He steps up and shoots to his right. That's Turner's left. 
Turner just reads it the whole time. Like he he sees it the entire way. He he makes an educated guess, certainly, but he gets it right. It's a poor penalty to pour a, a little bit of cold water onto Matt Turner, I guess. It's it's a really poor penalty from Leon Bailey. He doesn't put it in the corner. It's like kind of halfway between the midpoint of the goal and the the bottom corner on that right side, Turner's left. But still, it is a, a fantastic okay. moment that certainly turns the tide in this game. I, I forgot this until just now. I wrote in my notes, in all caps, it's a dogfight dog. Matt Turner saves Bailey PK. <laughs> Aaron Ramsdale is smiling somewhere, and he doesn't know why. For folks that don't know what that is, uh, you could Google it somewhere. We're, we're not going to get into the full recap of Aaron Ramsdale's impression of Matt Turner. Goss, let's take another quick break. We'll come back and talk about the rest of this game, the U.S.'s comeback, and performances both positive and mostly negative. Back soon. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show. Welcome back. Joe Lowry here with David Goss diving into the USMNT's 1-1 draw with Jamaica to start off their Gold Cup campaign Gus, we talked about Jamaica's goal. We talked about some of the issues that the U.S. had leading up to it. We talked about the penalty and Matt Turner's save on his birthday. Um, I kind of just want to like fast forward to the end and then talk about <laughs> players. Is there any other you know, moment along the way or a handful of moments that you thought were important to dive into? I mean, the U.S. didn't have a ton of clear-cut chances. What did you yeah. see from this team between you know that big save from Turner and Brendan Vasquez putting a ball in the back of the net? So on the negative side... I think you, you sort of mentioned it, and you explained it better than me in the 3-4-3. Three, three. DeAndre Yedlin was a black hole in possession. Like, it was horrendous, which is frustrating because I thought John Tolkien was really good in possession. And so in the 46th minute, it's the best chance of the first half. John Tolkien, just in sort of a dead moment, clips it over a player down the left line rather than just playing the simple ball. It opens up everything. Senora charges forward. 
And uh, and the two things about this, one, you got Tolkien involved in the attack, and two, it brought Jordan Morris off the wing. Jesus Ferreira drops deep. He plays Morris into the box, and Andre Blake makes an incredible save. I think Morris still could have done better with his chance to make it unsavable. That was the best look of the first half, and it was what we saw in the second half, which was just you had Jesus Ferreira disconnected, and he wasn't able to play with anyone. The guys underneath him were not dangerous enough to take defenders out of the play to then be able to get to him. And John Tolkien, I think, is, based off Yedlin's performance today, a better attacking fullback. But in general, I think at least equal. And all of those things were taken away. And I would say, over the course of this game, I thought Jesus Ferrer was the other guy close to Matt Turner who proved that he was a higher level than everyone else. Yeah, Ferreira did have a, a few nice moments. He plays a really nice ball to Alan Senora in the eighth minute. It's like, you know, maybe the quintessential yeah. Jesus Ferreira sequence where he sees a pass that you, you wouldn't think your number nine would normally see in a 90-minute game. That was a fantastic moment. He wasn't flawless, you know, has a, a couple of sloppy touches, a couple of turnovers in midfield. But generally, I thought it was sharp. I'm um, just, you know, maybe wasn't quite in with enough difference makers around him until the end of this game. But yeah, that's a good shot from you, Goss, on Ferreira and on some of the U.S.'s issues in possession. We can talk more about individual players in a minute, but I want to get to the, the fun bit here, which is Brandon Vasquez's goal. At the end of this match, 88th minute, I'd kind of, to be honest, already written this one off as a loss, <laughs> which is not the end of the world. Like, Gold Cup, you're probably going to win the next two games. You're going to make it out of the group. It's not going to be a huge issue. But credit to the U.S., they wrestled some control back with some good subs from B.J. Callahan, got Christian Roldan, got Georgie Mihaljevic, Kate Cowell, and eventually Brendan Vasquez on the field, and that did give the U.S. a little bit of life. It's a Jesus Ferreira cross. Jamaica can't quite clear it, you know, towards the back post, towards the middle of the box, and Vasquez just pounces. It's like a, a poacher's goal in a big moment. I like Brendan Vasquez. I like what he brings, and I thought this was a, a obviously a, a positive moment for him, guys. And to the what I was saying before, one of the parts of this goal is, like, you brought someone else on to play well next to Jesus. So Jesus Ferreira gets to go wide. He curls this ball in. The U.S. had 10 or 11 crosses in this game that were sort of mindless crosses of like, yeah. I'll just put my head down and hit it hard. And all of them were cut out at the near post by a Jamaican defender. This one, Jesus Ferreira puts a little texture on the ball. He curls it to the far post. It causes some chaos. And then, as you said, Vasquez in the right spot, and he doesn't panic with the chance. I think that's what you look at of there's it's a spot where you just put it on frame and he opened up his foot and he did that. And so when you look at the U S strikers and what you're looking for and what you need as great as Balogun played. And obviously Balogun, I think changes his formula a bit over the last four years. It's been, let's start with the guys who finish their chances. Then we'll go to the guys who can create chances and change the game. But we need to start with the first category. And for Vasquez, he hasn't done that this year in MLS. Yeah. He has not been accurate. With chances, what he did great last year and what he talked about publicly was like being simple, putting things on frame. I don't need to find the corner. I need to get them on frame so that I have the opportunity to score. He has moved away from that over the course of this season, and that that's what this was. Yeah, it was. You know, He didn't have to really overthink this moment. He's in the right spot, which is a skill in and of itself for any player. And it's, it's a strong finish, like a big moment. I, I like it from Brandon Vasquez. I'm, I'm perfectly content for him to continue being around the fringes of the number nine depth chart. You know, he's, he's not top two, very clearly, if we're talking about big picture with the full pool. But, you know, him sort of fighting with Sargent and with, you know, DK whenever he's fit and with, you know, whoever else is in MLS, 
I think that's a fine place to be. And I, I, I do hope we see more of Brendan Vasquez just for the simple sake of the U.S. having more success in this tournament. Guys, we've, we've had a lot of players sort of sporadically throughout this episode. There's one that we haven't touched on a lot yet that I thought was really involved and maybe not necessarily in a positive way. That's Alan Senora. You, we mentioned the, the 3-4-3 shape for the U.S. in this game. Senora largely playing in that left half space for the U.S. and then defending as more of a number 10 in the first half and maybe a little deeper in the second half. Guys, I'm curious about your thoughts on him because most of the notes that I have on Senora are negative. This is one of the guys who was in the Nations League roster. You know, he's one of the five holdovers from that camp to this one, along with Turner, Johnson, Miles Robinson, who still doesn't appear to be fully fit, and then Zendaya and Senora. That's the five. Like he gets involved in attacking spots. He, I think he is a technical player. But I was not impressed with his deliveries, which you kind of referenced earlier without naming Alan Senora and talking about a lot of crosses that were hit away by the first Jamaican defender. It, it was a frustrating night to watch Alan Senora, and I'm, I'm guessing for Senora himself, it felt frustrating to be out there on the field because it just didn't seem like a lot of things were coming off in the final third. No, and this, there are moments we still have, and I think he's one of those players where you do wonder if he played in MLS at the level that everyone else is at and played like this consistently, would he be in the national team? But he doesn't. And so it sort of changes your perception of what he does. He's a mystery box. He right? He's, he's yeah, kind exactly. of so a mystery box. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like, oh, could it be great? I would love to open it up and have caramel inside. So maybe I'll take a bite. <laughs> and you never know what happens. I think that's the experience we Sounds all have good. with chocolates. Dang. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was the same as you. As I said, he kept going out wide left. Um, and it created overload moments, but I, I think it actually hurt the U.S. a ton because some of the best moments for the U.S. were when the fullbacks were on the touchlines and the quote-unquote wingers kind of were in the channels and they were able to play out to the fullbacks and into the wingers. And Senora would go out there, but he wasn't able to move the ball quick enough to take advantage of the overloads. I had two moments in the first half that they're in transition moments and both uh, the first time Damian Lowe stands him up 1v1 before he can even get a through ball off. And the second one, Damian Lowe reads his through ball because he watches it and thinks about it too long, cuts it out. Both of them led to half chances for Jamaica going back the other way. So I thought his thought of, you know, play, thought of play, whatever I'm trying to say, yeah, um, was a little bit too slow as well. His touches weren't clean in tight areas. They weren't able to move the ball quick enough through him. Uh, I agree with you. And, with the subs, it just stood out so much of the energy that Mihailovic, and you know Christian Roldan plays that way, but when the gap's that big between the player he's replacing and what he does, it is pretty unacceptable. And so Zendejas and Senor come off, Mihailovic and Roldan come on, and it, the, the U.S. played a completely different game, and that's probably the biggest indictment on itself. Yeah, I thought Cade Cowell helped with that as well. Like his his speed, and he, he wasn't perfect. Like one of his first actions, Cade Cowell is dribbling the ball straight out of bounds. He's Cade. Like yeah, yeah, he's it was a full <laughs> Cade Cowell experience tonight, guys. That's exactly what it was. There's a moment uh, in the corner where he brings it down. I have it written down where, but he brings it down, clean touch, stands up his man, and then dribbles over the end line. Right. Right. Yeah, this is this is the stuff you get with Cade Cowell at this point in his young career. But I thought in general the U.S. looked more energetic when. You know, Senora and Morris and Zendayas came off and Roldan and Mihailovic and Cowell came on. That said, like I think, again, game state and the fact that Jamaica hadn't been so quick to make subs does factor in. Like I'm not mm -hmm. confident that Morris, Roldan, and Mihailovic are obviously better players. Or excuse me, uh, Cowell, Roldan, and Mihailovic 
are obviously better players than the three that they replaced, but you know, it was not a glamorous evening for Senora or Zendejas or Jordan Morris, really, either. One other beat on Senora. Like, I don't want to bang his uh, his service fully into the ground here. I think we've talked about it enough. I, I do want folks to sort of pay attention as they're watching him in future games during this tournament. In his crosses specifically, the way he strikes the ball. Like, there's something different about the way, and not in a good way, by the way, about yeah. how Alan Senora, like, hits the ball into the box. Like, his crosses... It's, it's almost very like he lofted. hits it. Yeah, it, it's very lofted and like almost. Uh, this is a bad way to describe it, and I don't have the excuse of it being midnight where I live, Gus. It's almost like chunky how he hits the ball. It's like if his foot was just like a big block, like a brick, and he hits the ball, and it's like it just kind of like chunks its way into the box. And I, I hope folks watch and like kind of. There's maybe one person out there that understands what I'm getting at, but his delivery isn't <laughs> precise. It, it's it's not. It's just not what you need out of a number ten. Now, I I do think maybe he could have some value. A little bit deeper downfield, but the the number ten experiment, the half space experiment, I'm pretty much over already. Zendayas, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to give a little bit more of a leash. Guys, were there any other players, either positive or negative? You know, I don't know that we're going to get positive, but any anybody else that you felt like is worth spotlighting based off of how they performed tonight that we haven't gotten to yet? For me, it was a good day for John Tolkien. Like this is a guy who hasn't played overseas yet, so to go up against Leon ba- Bailey, I mean, he had that one moment where. Yes, he falls over, but the contact he causes with Mikel Antonio forces Antonio to lose possession. Yeah. And like, that's not something I think we knew J- John Tolkien could physically capably do. Um, I thought he held his own throughout the game. He is clearly elite on the ball. His first touch is correct. You know, he opens up the ball in front of himself a lot in the right way so that he sets himself up where you watch Yedlin touches it back, and now he's got to open his body back up to the field, and the defenders close on him, and now he puts Miazga in a tough spot. Tolkien doesn't do a lot of that stuff, um, and he has a little bit of edge to his game. It, it has gotten him in trouble at times in Major League Soccer, but overall, he's good enough that his talent overwhelms. He showed a little bit of that edge in moments in this game, so I think for him to show for himself – and to the staff that he could play at this level like himself. Be comfortable, you know, smile, laugh, enjoy the game. When you saw him subbed off, he didn't realize it was for him. So he was like waving Vasquez on, and then they were like, well, you have to come off. And he's like, oh, me? And he's like (laughs) laughing. That's kind of who he is. And I thought you saw that from him. And I mentioned the moment in the first half that they create, but you talk about like the service from Senora in the second half. In the third, you know, three minutes into the second half, Tolkien gets higher up the field. Yeah. And it, it, the cross doesn't land to anyone, but it's hit with pace. It's the correct way to strike a ball. And I think he's capable of all of that. So to me, he's a guy who's like, probably it needs to come with the move to Europe, but I think he's going to be in the left back conversation. He's obviously going to jump ahead of a guy like George Bellow. He'll probably jump ahead of like a Sam Vines and guys like that pretty quickly if he can just be playing in Europe wherever he ends up going. So I thought it was a good night for him. Yeah, a little, little bit disappointed that you didn't describe Tolkien's crossing as not chunky, um, but I'm going to take that as a note that that wasn't the best looked like he had to a use. foot at the end of his leg instead, <laughs> right, of, a instead of a brick. Yep, yep, yeah. all right, same page. Uh, I, I agree, generally positive on Tolkien. I, I ding him quite a bit for getting cooked by Reed like twice, you know, in the first 20 right. minutes of the second half. Uh, for a guy that's played in the Red Bull system for as long as he has and, and kind of is this semi-athletic force at left back. I didn't think that was that was great from him. That said, like, I've talked to John Tolkien before. I did it on the backfield show. Like, this guy wants to play for a team that wants the ball. 
Like it's it's very clear that he's excited about the prospect of one day and maybe soon going to a club that actually does value some possession some of the time. And so maybe he's getting stereotyped and maybe I'm guilty of this right now as like this, you know, defensive vertical left back and I think maybe his USL days and some of his earlier youth career wouldn't put him quite in that bucket, but overall especially relative to some of the other performers, Tolkien is someone that I would be interested in seeing again. And I, I probably wouldn't say that about the majority of this lineup. Uh, guys, we've done about 45 minutes on this game. I'm pretty much ready to, to call this one done. I want to end with one final question, though. It doesn't have to be a real answer here. Is there any player outside of Matt Turner that like meaningfully boosted their stock, you think, in the eyes of Greg Berhalter tonight? Because I'm, I'm not really sure that there is one. Um, I was trying to think of a cheeky answer of a person who's already in the A team who didn't right. lose their spot because no right. one else played well. Uh, no, I wouldn't say. I would say Turner. I I thought Jesus was good, and I thought Jesus showed that he's at a higher level. And as I said, I thought Tolkien showed he was at the level. I think you could say Sands wasn't bad, but I don't think anyone elevated themselves into the conversation. For example, in thinking about. The team for obviously it's St. Kitts and Nevis, but like for the next tough game in this tournament, outside of Matt Turner, I don't think anyone's came out of this game saying oh, they have to be in the team. Yeah, yep, I would agree with that, and it's uh, it made for a slightly yeah. unfortunate evening for the USMNT and for USMNT fans certainly. Uh, but guys, nonetheless, I appreciate yeah. you staying up late. I know you've had a long week wherever you are in the depths of of youth soccer world in Texas. Thank yeah, you man. so much for joining Let's me go, on baby. this show to talk about bricks and caramel chocolates, which just made me hungry, I guess. So thank me you for too. that. Yeah. Can I throw one thing in there for everyone, though, to remember? Because context, Please. I think, is always tough for all of us. In 2021, opening game of the Gold Cup, the U.S., brutal. 1-0 win against Haiti. They were horrendous. They blew out Martinique in the second game because Martinique was bad. They were brutal against Canada in the third game of the group stage. They scored in the first minute didn't score again and then they went on to win the whole thing we have to remember like a lot of these guys met five days ago most of these players have never played together before and so it is the b or c team whatever you want to call it i think this jamaica roster might be the best at the gold cup so i just all of that for context here of like it will probably get better as the week goes along it'll hopefully get better as the tournament goes along we have to remind ourselves that on top of the fact that this isn't the best team the U.S. can put out there. And look at Goss ending the show with some positivity. David, thank you for that. And, and again, thank you for joining me. Listeners, thank you all so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed. We'll be back on the feed next week talking USMNT, talking maybe some U.S. Women's National Team as well, European stuff, some listener questions, all that good stuff coming to your ears shortly. But for now, we'll talk to you soon.